0: FYI, this podcast contains spoilers. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 426 of the podcast that goes snicked, snicked. I'm your host, Jason Venable, and it's time for our My Bloody Valentine special because Marvel actually gave us a pretty good Valentine-adjacent comics the last couple weeks. There's romance in the air, but because there's Wolverine, there's also some blood in the air. So, not only is My Bloody Valentine an awesome band, and a movie I've never seen, <laughs> but it's also very apropos for talking about Wolverine in the Valentine season, right? <laughs> so yeah, so we have a... Actually, a decent little stack of books, not a whole whole lot, but you know, enough. We need some quick hits, kind of talk about some uh, romance and violence, right? So that's that's what you want for Wolverine Valentine. You know, you want the hugs and the snicks, <laughs> as we like to say. Um, so yeah, the first thing we're going to talk about is Wolverine Black, White, and Blood number three. Now this has three stories, as these have had so far. Um, we have 32 Warriors and a Broken Heart, which is written by John Ridley, and art by Jorge Fornes, who I've loved on both uh, Batman and Daredevil stuff. Uh, we have Burn, which is written by Donnie Cates, and art by Chris Baccalow. And then we have Red Planet Blues, written by Jen McKay, and art by Jesus Sayas. And then uh, VCs Clayton Cowles does the letters. And uh, Jorge Fornes does the cover. And the cover is really cool. So, it's basically like a black sky with white stars kind of speckled. And then on the bottom is a white, just silhouette of like a, a traditional Japanese village, right? With like pagodas and little temples and arches and stuff. And it looks pretty cool. And then coming down the middle of the cover is a... Cut out in red of Wolverine's forearm and claws and then blood pulling off of the claws into the snow at the bottom but then kind of translucent through the forearm is a Screaming growling whatever face of Wolverine all in red tone It looks really really cool. It's a really nice nice cover I, possibly an early early bid for a cover of the year for 2021. It's it's early. It's hard to say that right now, but it's definitely a a great cover that I like quite a bit. Um, So in that story, which would be the most Valentine story of the bunch, um, the one by Ridley and Fornes, we have Wolverine talking about fighting the Silver Samurai and how he's fought the Silver Samurai over and over and over again. And this time is talking about uh, Amiko and how he and Mariko, after he had had saved Amiko from some carnage, that he and Mariko had adopted her and agreed to raise her. But, of course, he's super busy being Wolverine. And Mariko was super busy uh, handling clan Yashida business. And so they both decided to send Amiko off to boarding school. And then there was a story, uh, of course when Silver Samurai tried to kidnap her and this is kind of set in that time and kind of adds some layers to that so this time we see uh, Wolverine and Mariko both fighting Silver Samurai and basically says if you get through my my challenges my 32 warriors you can fight or you can have Amiko back and so they continue to fight they fight a bunch of ninjas they fight some uh, Ronin And they do well. Pretty good, right? Then they fight some, what are called, Sohei. I think I said that right. Georgie, maybe you can let me know. Uh, But uh, Some Buddhist warrior monks. And and they continue to just kind of slice and dice their way through. Lots of black, white, and blood, (laughs) obviously. Then they fight two samurai. And Mariko gets injured, but it's not life-threatening. And they're able to take the samurai down. And then they fight Silver Samurai, and Wolverine is able to, you know, cut up his sword and cut up his armor. And he puts him down, but he's counting it in his head. That's only 31 warriors. Um, then we find out the last warrior is Amiko herself. Incredibly mad at her parents for, you know, shipping her off to school and then letting her get kidnapped and not really being present in her life. Um, I think, and, and Wolverine is, like, all all unjustifiable. Um, really, the only thing I don't like about the story is, because there's a part where she picks up her sword, and she's running at Wolverine, and Wolverine pulls his claws in, but uh, Fornes does a snicked instead of a snacked, which is too bad. This would be a shoe win, for snack of the year, if it was a snacked. <laughs> um, because obviously he's not going to fight his adopted daughter. Um, and, and he's going to let her do what she needs to do. So Amiko runs up and basically plunges her sword into Wolverine. Wolverine falls over then Amiko kind of realizes what she had done out of anger but she didn't really want to lose her dad and she falls to her knees and starts crying and of course Wolverine with the ceiling factor gets up and he and Mariko everyone covered in blood kind of like a group hug and then they walk off and Wolverine says you know what uh, the sword went through my heart takes a long time to heal which I all of you who have listened to me before know that I'm a a huge fan of a healing factor that's not instantaneous and not necessarily miraculous right it's a slow burn healing factor he bounces back but it can take a while sometimes and so he talks about how he, he takes this time then to spend time with Mariko and Amiko to be a family before they take her back to wherever they take her back to um art in this is wonderful uh i really like uh fornez a lot like i mentioned his his work he's done on on batman books and on daredevil uh all which is wonderful and he's always done really cool stuff with uh shadow and silhouette and kind of simplistic color work uh, or not, that sounds, maybe someplace that like has a negative connotation, minimalist color work, right? That looks really cool. So for him to do black and white with just splashes of red really works with his art style that he kind of already does anyway. Um, so it's just very visually appealing. I like, you know, obviously I'm, I'm a huge proponent of Mariko as Wolverine's chief love. Um, so I enjoy seeing her. And Amiko is someone that is well, there's been a, a handful of pretty good stories with her, but I would say for the most part she's ignored, <laughs> or just kind of like, you know. And it's funny because in, in the story almost is the reader experience, right? She's just kind of shipped off somewhere to just kind of live her life off the page, right? And so when when this tale talks about Logan and Mariko shipping her to boarding school because they don't have time for her, that's almost like the readership, right? That's almost the uh, the comic experience is that she's just kind of not ever really around, so she's off doing her own thing somewhere uh, while, while Logan lives his life. So I was happy to see, you know, even if it's a story in the past, uh, to see a reference to her um, and kind of and kind of give her an emotional outlet, right, for for expressing her grief, anger, at kind of having some, you know, fairly absentee parents who who love her and care for her but haven't... and try to do the best for her, right? Like, it's a good school. She's getting a good education and good life. She's protected. She's safe. But she's missing her her adoptive mom and dad. And so you know, she kinda acts out on that, you know. In a way that that most people would not through murder or attempted murder. But um I don't know, it just is very emotionally compelling, right, to to see her react to her situation and kinda take the sword and and do something and then immediately regret it, right? Like she, how how perfect and childlike emotion is that, right? Like, you, you get upset, you throw the tantrum, you cause some trouble and or pain and or hurt, and you immediately dread it because you really just, at the end of the day, just want the love, right? Um, you know, I see that all the time with my kids, right? Um, they a fit and they get upset because either they get in trouble or maybe they accidentally hit their brother and they don't really want to hurt him, and, you know... It's an interesting thing and, and feels very honest. So I really enjoyed the first story here. Um, the second story is uh, Wolverine at a bar, and Cosmic Ghost Rider comes from the future and says, Hey, this is the day you fight the Juggernaut in a bar. It's a great story. I wanted to see it. And so then Juggernaut comes along and they fight, but. Cosmic Ghost is like, oh wait, I think I messed up by being here, and so, um, he decides to go ahead and help, because I guess I don't really, haven't really read much Cosmic Ghost Rider, I know a lot of people really like him, but, um, I guess his chains are made from Cinerac, so he's able to ca- actually kind of, like, slow the Juggernaut down, and then, um, at the, at the end, he and, uh, Logan have a beer, um, it's not bad, it's, it's okay, the use of red and black and white is kind of cool. I, I would say... <laughs> I know Boccolo usually does muted colors. So you would think, oh, black and white needs an easy transition. Because he does a lot of a lot of shadow. And, and he's, his art can be really busy at times. And he does a lot of similar color palettes. And it's sometimes maybe hard to tell what's going on. It's actually even harder in black and white sometimes to tell what's going on. Um... And I'm I'm a huge Bakulow fan, so please, please hear that criticism in that context. That I normally like him a lot. I just found the art to be a little Slop. sloppy. is probably not the right word. Just a little hard to read in at places. So anyway, that was okay. Um, and then the last story is uh, Wolverine and Magic go to Mars. Um, with the Krakow Gate, they see like some this land from I think it's from I forget the name, but from you know John the Technicians Avengers stuff, right? There was the group, and uh, they probably say it in here, and I probably forgot. Uh, not inheritors, but the garden, the gardeners, right? And so there's a garden on Mars, but there's some a sect of AIM that is trying to like. Use their technology and weaponize it and stuff. And there's four of them. And they're instead of yellow beekeeper suits, there are red beekeeper suits. And they're called MAME Mars AIM. And Wolverine, uh, Magic leaves Wolverine says, I gotta go. Uh, so he's gonna take care of it. He fights them. Um, and they have this robot. And he fights that. And of course, it's pretty brutal and violent, but he's able to, to get it. And then, uh, Magic comes back. Wolverine says, I got you a souvenir. And it's one of the main's helmets. And they're like, um, alright, cool. And then they go home. Um, it's fine. The art's really cool. I uh, like Jesus' say is a lot. So, I mean, all through this issue, the art's really good. Uh, I would say the first story has a lot of heft. Um, the middle story is just kind of a brawl. Uh, and the last story is, is okay. Um, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if outside of the art, if either of the last two stories really interest me that much. N- definitely not nearly as much as the first one. But, um, yeah, I would give Wolverine Red... I'm sorry, Wolverine Black, White, and Blood, number three. Uh, three out of six claws overall for the whole issue. I'd probably get that first one, first story, if you want to know an individual score. I probably would have given it five, so if the whole book had been like that, yay. Um but overall I, th- I think it was an, an average comic book with some, some cool art so next up something like Valentine's is high school <laughs> so we're going to talk about Runaways number 33 which is uh, written by Rainbow Rao, art by Andre Genolet maybe, I'm not sure I'm saying that right Genolet, I'm not sure um Colors by D. Canif. Uh, I'm not doing very good on this one. Uh, letters by VC Joker, Amania, and the cover, of course, by Chris Anka. Um, it's a really cool cover. Oh, sorry. Uh, there's also graphic design by Carlos Lau. Um, a pretty cool cover by Anka. We have uh, one of the characters, and they don't give. Of all the issues, I couldn't have used like a title page or a, a credit page with floating heads and names. Uh, this is what I could have used. Cause I don't really know these characters very well. But um, the big green guy with the horns. He's on the front and he's playing football. And he's playing for his school called the Sabretooths And they're in Sabertooth colors. And he's being tackled by guys on the Wolverine football team. And of course, their football uniforms look like Wolverine's uniform. And the helmet even has kind of the fake cowl on it. Um, almost like a Philadelphia Eagles helmet. But, but it looks like Wolverine's mask. It's pretty cool. Um, so a really nice cover. So basically, in this one, um, I've always heard really good things about Runaways, uh, you know, particularly the Brian K. Vaughn run. And I've heard that this volume is also pretty nifty as well. Um, I intend to catch up on it someday. I just have not done it yet. Um, so I, I am not saying that every issue, because this is part two of this current story um, that Wolverine shows up in, and not to say that. Every issue needs to try to figure out where new readers are coming from, but I did find it a little hard to track everyone and, and figure out where in the story we were just because I have not read this comic before. Um, that said, it's not bad, but basically, the kids, some, or some of the kids in the Runaways, have gone back to high school. Uh, we have this guy, um, Gerd, no, sorry, G- Gibb give who uh is is playing football and the other kids are wondering whether it's fair or not for him to play um kind of reminds me of like uh the beast origin (laughs) right um so this kid's on the on the football team and everyone loves him because you know he's doing really good and then um so they're at this house where they all live and um i remember molly from like because it was age of x where she actually like joined the, the mutants um and so there's a a doombot who's like the butler so the kids all kind of have kind of just a day in their life uh social situations there's some different stories that come through um it's all interesting enough Um, but basically um, there's a crash and the doombot is fighting Uh, Wolverine and Pixie who have come to get Molly and the runaways are all like, you're not going to kidnap our friend and so they fight a little bit Uh, Wolverine looks really great by the way Uh, he's a beefy Wolverine here kind of thick if you will Um, and so it looks pretty good Um, the art art is nice here Um, yeah, so they fight a little bit Wolverine grabs Molly and is like we're taking her to Krakoa and they're like you cannot kidnap our friend He's like, whoa, 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 kidnap we came because at Molly's request. We thought we were rescuing her. Like she asked to come to Krakoa, and it kind of close up on Molly's face, and she's like, <laughs> "Like uh oh," um, and to be continued. So that's kind of fun. Um, the art overall is nice. It kind of so it kind of reminds me of the of a similar style, right? And actually, I know at one point I believe Chris O'Connor was doing the interiors for this book as well it's definitely in that vein, but it also reminds me of of some of the art on Mark Wade's Archie Run uh, from of course, Fiona Staples and uh, Veronica Fish. Um, which is I guess nice and sunshiny and cartoony, but still almost like a cross between like a more innocent comic strip, but still comic booking and still having some heroic flair. So I, I think the art is really pretty great in this book. Um, and, I mean, I think I probably would have enjoyed it more if I knew the characters better. But even the part where Wolverine comes in at the end is pretty fun. Because of the whole, like, okay, we reached out to come to Krakoa. And so they came to get her. And then we're we're met with hostility. And they're like, oh, well, we got to take her home. Because we got to get her away from these people that are holding her back. And she's like, oh... Well, maybe you know it's hard to tell from the last panel did she really request did she maybe make the request and then change her mind um so i'm definitely curious to see how that plays out but that that was a, kind of a fun spin on the hero finding hero misunderstanding trope um so that was cool um i think overall so I think had I been reading this book and was I caught up with all the the interpersonal drama, I probably would have enjoyed it more than I did. I think having not been familiar with the characters as much and not reading this particular volume definitely hurt a little bit because there's a whole lot of like interpersonal melodrama and, and catching up with recent decisions and stuff that that would reward you for reading the series. So I'm imagining if you're a fan of the book and you're reading this book, this is probably a really good issue. Like, uh, probably a four or five. For me, I'm probably going to give it three out of six claws just because I was a little um, lost on some of the emotional beats. Like, they didn't really connect. And that's my... Well, I do it's not anyone's fault. I, I understand why that's happening because I'm not reading it and I'm not familiar with the characters. And I think that that definitely hurt my experience uh it's not to say every book should be like we need to grab people who aren't familiar That it definitely plays on being familiar with the characters and so in that regards it didn't didn't work as well for me um but i'm definitely interested to see what happens in the next issue how the kind of the misunderstanding resolves um so definitely looking forward to reading the next issue of runaways and i don't know maybe this will kickstart my my getting into that concept um a little sooner i'll just kind of wait until i kind of got back around to the time period when it came out in one of my reading projects but we'll we'll see maybe i'll maybe i'll jump in a little earlier get my get my runaway feet wet but anyway and that's some high school drama and that was fun um yeah that was runaways 33. so uh next up is going to be x417 which is a uh, quentin choir date night um this is written by Benjamin Percy with art by Joshua Kassara, Colors by Guru Effects, Letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. Designed by Tom Mueller. Covered by Joshua Kassara and Dean White. And it's Ken Omega, or Quentin Quire, and Phoebe Cuckoo on the front trying to have a date. And behind them is all kinds of action with the X-Force team, including Wolverine, of course, I have Wolverine, Beast, Jean Grey, Colossus, Sage, and Domino, um, and Black Tom, I think. he looks like he's going into the sewer under a manhole. And, uh, yeah, they're running away from an explosion. And I don't have the digital copy, so I can't zoom. There's a comic book in the bottom left-hand corner that's just kind of blowing in the wind. And I can't tell what it is. Maybe I, I may have to find someone that has the... uh Actually, is it, is it the issue Or No, it's not. And there's too, a little too much fire. Um, but yeah, that looks fun. Uh, and then Quentin's uh, shirt says, I died a hundred times and all I got was this lousy t-shirt, which is pretty fun. So it's, it's a pretty nice cover. Um, So it really is Quentin just kind of talking about resurrection. And now he keeps dying and he keeps coming back and maybe he has a death wish because maybe he likes being reborn We get... Lots of different times that he died. Some of which we've seen, some of which we have not seen. Um, you know, some of some of which include Wolverine, and some of which some of which don't. And uh, basically, talking about all these times that he dies and this idea of wanting to be reborn. So he gets this mission. Uh, he happens to be the only person there. He's supposed to have a date with um, Phoebe that night. So he wants to stay alive. He has a reason to. ...to come through the mission unscathed... ...and to try to survive and not get uh, not get um, uh, resurrected. And there's this cruise ship that people think got taken over by Krakoa. And so Quentin goes, and it is a massacre. He finds one survivor, uh, a little girl with her teddy bear... ...in one of the cabins on the cruise ship. And she's terrified of him. And he turns around to see something... ...and has a look of shock on his face and then he dies anyway (laughs) and he gets resurrected and he comes out and uh phoebe brings him a nice change of clothes and kind of reconnects with him gives him some nice memories um of what they had done since his last resurrection so he can remember kind of the romance uh so that's nice for valentine's day right and she's like better he's like much better and so then they go to visit some of the people in the hospital, there were a couple other survivors found, and they all see monstrous versions of X-Force, uh, Wolverine, Colossus, Quentin Flyer, and he's like, huh, oh, that's weird, and then Phoebe's like, well, I don't want to say anything, but it looks like all these minds have also, they all like, have your psychic fingerprint." And so it's really odd. So he's like, well, I don't think I killed everybody. I'm pretty sure I didn't. Um, and you almost had the idea, right? Like, well, maybe someone was messing with their mind because these are these nightmarish versions of our heroes, or at least our X-Force team. So he's like, huh. And then um, we get a little bit of, of uh, kid trauma from Quentin. And we can get some some flashbacks of his childhood. And they decide they're going to go uh, get him new costumes. So he needs some new clothes. Some futuristic or forward-looking uh, costumes. And we have a, uh, a, a wardrobe montage, which is fun, right? Um, he has like a punky post-apocalyptic one. He has like a, a skin-tight pink suit with an Omega sign on his chest. Then he has, like, a, a pink-hued cable costume, which is pretty awesome. Uh, he has a glob, and he's like, whoa, no, 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 and he's, like, covering up his privates because, he, you know, he's not a skeleton underneath, and Oregon He's a naked dude under there. <laughs> then he has, like, a Shiar one, a fake Wolverine costume, uh, which is funny because says, because all of these is, like, too post-apocalyptic, too clingy, too pouchy, too much pee-pee, uh, too Shiar... In the Wolverine one, he says, Too bad, Mentory, which is pretty fun. Um, then he gets a suit that looks kind of like uh, Cyclops' suit. It's like black and like pink Tron trim, and he has like glowing glasses. And um, yeah, but then he looks in the mirror and sees this horrible thing, and then we see... um, um I'm forgetting his name. Jumbo Carnation. Sorry. I like the guy. Um, He's doing the costumes, but he had won out, and then he comes back, and he's possessed. He has pink eyes, and we see the peacock guy from Zeno, and you know, of course, he's been collecting genetic material. He grabbed some Wolverine DNA in the last issue of Wolverine. Um, So I'm wondering if instead of, like, psychic, manipulated nightmares, if a version of X-Force really did butcher these people on the ship and they look monstrous because the clones are monstrous that's kind of what I'm thinking right so they're clones with the X-Force powers but that are you know like gross looking and and even more horrific than that our characters are so that's pretty interesting um the art was really good uh, definitely enjoyed the focus on Quentin. There's a part, one of the text pieces is how he has all these demands for his resurrection protocols. Because, you know, X-Force kind of has a resurrection carte blanche on Krakoa. And he's like, oh, I want uh, better vision so my glasses can just be an accessory. I want a bigger ding-dong. I want uh, my facial hair and body hair to be proportioned and sculpted a certain way you know genetically and naturally (laughs) it's all this like kind of funny like stuff that would go with Quentin choir um and of course the five are like this is gross and stupid we don't want to do this but but x-force um anyway it's a nice it's a nice issue they have a nice quote-unquote date um it is fun and the art's really good of course i've like i said i've really grown on kasara and uh, this issue looks pretty fantastic. Um. Yeah, I uh, I would give X417 a very solid four out of six claws at, at least. I'm um, kind of flirted with the five. Um, and I don't know. Maybe it is. Uh I mean, Quentin Choir he's he's an Inquired. choir is an Inquired taste, um, for sure. Um, I don't know. I'm not sure if it really grabbed me completely, but I liked it quite a bit. Um, Yeah, I'm going to go a very, very strong four out of six claws. So, enjoyed seeing the date night. Enjoyed seeing kind of what's going on and looking forward to seeing how the mystery is solved. Um, and that's X Force number 17. So next up, we have kind of a Valentine's date night in the Kingdom Black storyline. Um, so that's going to be Fantastic Four. Oh, hold on, I got to get the, an ad here. Um, the Fantastic Four number 29, I believe, is the right number. Let me. Where are we? Where are we? Yep, Fantastic Four 29, the Kingdom Black tie-in uh written is soul bound written by dan Swatt. uh art by zay carlos or z carlos i'm not sure uh colors by jesus arbitov letters by V.C. joe caramania and the covers by mark brooks and the cover is the human torch blasting his way through a bunch of symbiotes um so we're kind of going backwards to the king of black story a little bit so if you're reading fantastic four they just got through that Forever Gate story and they had to like transport like their building on at 4 Yancey Street out and it had all these pocket dimensions. So Reed's able to restore the building, but it's just a normal building now. And also, Johnny has um, this character Sky that he brought back from like this alien world. And they're supposed to be soulmates. But they're still trying to kind of get to know each other. And so they decide they're going to go out on a date. And meanwhile, King of Black happens. They're actually having a pretty good date. It's a pretty fun little scene. Sue doesn't trust her because she doesn't really believe that they're soulmates. just because this thing told them they were. Um, So she turns invisible and like kind of spies on them. And that doesn't go very well. Um, But yeah, so they fight you know, symbiotes, they're doing their thing, um, Human Torch, we get the scene um, from King of Black number two, where Spider-Man and Human Torch uh, go nova, that's where we see Wolverine uh, fighting some symbiotes as well, and you know, Human Torch disappears, Sky finds Sue, uh, it's like, where's, where's Johnny? And she's like, uh, kind of realizes she maybe is giving Skye a hard time, and they decide, you know, to go fight, but then Sky gets uh, taken over by a symbiote and is going to fight Sue um, until what happens. I guess Noel comes along and then um, they're interrupted by a big Fantastic Four flare and so Sky Sue so finds Reed, who's been pretty involved in King of Black so far anyway, but the end is that the thing is taken over by a Semiope, but he, he, he sends the flare, and is calling for his teammates, and he's going to ambush them. Um, the art's pretty good. The story is fine. Honestly, you know, speaking of Valentine's Day, the date part was probably the better part of the story. Just some fun, you know, personality, chemistry stuff, character beats. Um, the Fantastic Four being involved in Kingdom Black and you know the Wolverine cameo, not a whole lot to to get excited about. Um I would give Fantastic Four 29, nine three out of six claws. So and we we're burning through this stuff. Um <laughs> So Wolverine is not the only one who gets to do Valentine stuff. A Daken also has a new romantic interest in X Factor number seven. So I'm gonna steal that from our normal uh, Dawn of X, Reign of X episodes, and uh, talk about it here. So, X Factor number seven is uh, written by Lee Williams, art by David Baldione, colors by Israel Silva, uh, letters by V.C. Joe Caramania, designed by Tom Mueller, cover by Yvonne Chavran, and um, the cover is a big headed eye boy with this new i-themed bandana and then polaris in the front with green lightning it's fine i haven't really loved the x-factor covers to be honest it's been a lot of okay um so we have prodigy and um his boyfriend speed saying that he didn't i think it's his name right oh gosh it's tom or tommy um yeah, I think he's like a young Avenger or something. Um, anyway, um, they're making out, and he's like, Well, you didn't die when everyone said you died because I was with you. Uh, we were together, and here's social media posts to prove it. And then Dawkins um, is dressed like a frat boy and gets called out for it. But it's funny because he's flirting with Aurora, and it's actually a pretty good scene. But Aurora's like concerned that Dawkins' manipulating her. But we get kind of a cool a cool summary of Dawkins' powers where he's like, you know, I can't invent pheromones. That's not how it works. Like, I can take something that someone's already feeling and I can magnify it or use it to my advantage. And we've seen him do that, right? Where someone's maybe attracted to him and he kind of uses that to make them kind of do, or to convince them to do kind of what he wants or whatever um but he basically says i can't i can't manufacture it all i can do is enhance what already exists and so he's like so if you have feelings for me or if there's something here like i'm not i'm not try- first of all i'm not, not trying to do anything but if I wanted to, I I couldn't make it up. And there's some lust in the air; it's already in the air, and all I can do is kind of play into it. And she's like, "Okay, I can dig that." And they're about to kiss, but uh, North Star interrupts them, and so he's like, "All right, well, I gotta go. I'm tagging. I'm following Siren around and trying to figure out what's going on with her and her whole death thing." And then we get um, some scenes. Polaris is kind of out of it. Um and yeah. So then there's a lot of talking talk <laughs> and uh Dawkins following so we get a text piece about the Morgan which I don't I don't I don't think I read that story when it came out. That wasn't part of uh Peter David's X Factor after I had bailed, I think. Um and that was mostly a budget bail. I'll, I'd plan to reread that again at some point. Um, but yeah, so Dokken, uh calls in. He's checking in. and But then he's attacked by Siren and or the Morrigan is impaled and left for dead on a big piece of construction. A big piece of wood. Um, a beam from the building. And then Northstar comes and finds him. And then realize that... Uh, the Morrigan had manipulated Polaris into trying to sabotage the investigation. And then, but Dawkins also like, well, I don't think she realized I could heal, because she left me for dead. I think that's to our advantage. So then he goes to get in a hot tub, and Aurora comes and gets in the hot tub with him, fully dressed. He was worried about him. And they talked about how they miss each other, and they start making out. Um, and until North Star interrupts again, and Aurora says, hey, it's okay. Um... You know, because of Age of X, X-Man, sorry, because of Age of X-Man, you know, he had some, he's just worried that everyone's going to disappear on him or something, which uh, I don't know about all that. But anyway, that's why he keeps yelling everyone's name <laughs> for, some, for some reason. Um, and then uh, we have a scene that night and we have Prodigy and I-Boy hiding in a room. And they're like, everyone's dead and Dawkins comes in and it looks like Aurora and North Star are in like this war again light circle and they are sacrificed, dead, whatever to be continued. So the art is pretty fantastic. And I like I really like Dawkins in this issue. I like him kind of his kind of the twist on his powers or maybe the development explanation of his powers. Um I like how he's kind of confident, but also a little bit awkward with Aurora, because I think he's genuinely interested in her. Um, so that's kind of cool. I think that's a a nice, or potentially nice relationship. Um, I like seeing Prodigy and and his boyfriend. Um, that was cool. That seemed to be pretty emotionally intact. I just wish I knew more about the character. Um... And then yeah, uh, not sure about the way Northstar's acting, and I don't know how much I care about the Morgan. Um, but you know, that's neither here nor there. The art was really nice. Docking was really nice. Um, I've seen a lot of people wondering whether he, and uh, maybe when he was left for dead, it wasn't just that the Morgan didn't understand his powers, as maybe she left something like a dark. Seen there and maybe he killed everyone that night um, at X Factor base so I don't know, that's possible I don't know if I really care that much about that part I don't know, I all the stuff around Dawkin and Prodigy I enjoyed, the rest of it I did not enjoy as much um, but I'm going to give this it was one of the better, stronger issues I thought, the art was really clean, I really like Baldion's Dawkin as well um, he, he looks really good, even when he's, you know, dressed in undercover civilian clothes like a frat boy, as he says, um, <laughs> with like a, a little jacket and a backwards hat and a t-shirt, um, and still, he looks good, uh, yawn makes him look, look nice. Um, uh, I don't know, I would... Trying to decide if I want to give this 3 out of 6 claws or 4 out of 6 claws. I'm not sure. Um. I think I like the docking stuff enough with him and Aurora and everything else. Even though I don't I'm not too fussed about the Morrigan story part. I think I'll go ahead and go a very it's it's right on the fence. So I can easily swing to a 3 but I'll go ahead. I mean it's Valentine's right? We're going to be generous and a lovey-dovey. So I'm going to give it four out of six claws, but it's a light it's a light four. All right. Well, to end the episode, we're going to have a little bonus content of our favorite ex-couple, Rogue and Gambit, and it's caliber number 18. So that's how we'll end our Valentine special. Um, this, of course, is written by Teeny Howard, art by Marcus Toe, colors by Eric Arseniega, letters by VCs Ariana Mayer, designed by Tom Mueller, covered by Mahmoud Azrar and Matthew Wilson, and on the cover we have Rogue, Jubilee, Gambit, and Richter looking down in dejection, and then behind them is uh, Doug, Nightcrawler, Magneto, Emma, Kate Pride, and Mr. Sinister, and kind of a, a red glow, and then behind them is a big Krakoa head. Um... I don't really know what they're trying to say on the cover besides everyone. We have like a row, four people mourning, and then the line of like the quiet council behind them looking very stern. Like, don't you mess this up. And then Krakoa in the back. It, it's a fine cover. It's okay. Um, so we start off with Saturnine 9 um, with a request from Krakoa. But they're like, nope, you don't have a Captain Britain anymore, so you cannot approach me or talk to me. But, of course, we know that Betsy has come back, but everyone's trying to figure out, is it really her? And Rachel confirms that she has the right Betsy's memories. She remembers Krakoa and our universe. But Rogue is still just like, I just don't know. So Rachel says here, absorb a little bit of my power just for a few days. Help keep an eye on her, right? See if anything goes wrong. And, you know, we'll go from there. And Emma shows up and is like, tries to read Betsy's mind, but she shoves it off. I do like the idea, there's a really cool visual they do, um, where Emma's telepathy has little, like, diamond shapes, like, instead of, like, Psylocke, or sorry, instead of Betsy's, like, butterfly or, you know, Rachel having kind of a red fiery glow, like, Emma's telepathy looks like little, little silver diamonds floating between people. That's kind of cool. I kind of like it. It goes their diamond form. It's a nice visual. I think it's pretty nice. Um, So, basically, Emma and Rogue talk a little bit, and then Emma leaves, Um, basically says, you know, just tell Betsy to, you know, kind of, basically suck it up, buttercup, that she still has a role on Krakoa as Captain Britain, and she needs time to be depressed or whatever, that's fine, I understand she went through a trauma, but, you know, sooner rather than later, she's going to have to get back on board with doing Captain Britain stuff and representing Krakoa in that manner. Which, of course, Rogue's kind of like, "Eh, I don't really like that. You're making me mad. Um, So they have breakfast with Rogue Gambit, uh, Richter and Jubilee, and Shogo. Um, And then Betsy's kind of just sitting down below, being depressed. Um, Then uh, uh, Maggie comes in through the gate, and sees Aunt Betsy, and is like, what? Um, and then Brian comes through, and they're like, whoa, y'all didn't tell me she was back, why didn't y'all tell me? And then Megan comes in, and Henry is <laughs> putting his back, he's like, hello, mother, we're having a confrontation. <laughs> and Rogue's like, oh, we were gonna tell you, we just wanted to make sure it was her first. And then the actor, it actually does look like Rogue and Brian have a nice conversation about, you know, she is back, but she seems off, and Brian... Brian's like, well, she won't talk to me. I don't understand. Right? No matter what we've always been through, she's always at least talked to me. Like, this is weird. And so they're like, all right, we agree. It's weird. But then, after Rogue leaves, Brian gets purple eyes, and Betsy goes shh from the shadows, and she walks Brian through the gate, back to uh, the other world. Betsy tells Rogue to wake up. Tag, you're it. And she goes through the gate, and Rogue's like, okay, we gotta find her, so Rogue and Gambit are gonna are gonna split up um to try to find Brian who's back at home. Um so Rogue and Richter are going to go look for Betsy, and then Gambit and Jubilee are gonna go check on Brian, and I like, will see you later. Um, so Gambit goes and sees uh, King Jamie. He's like, I did not do this. I did not, muck. y'all asked me not to muck around and make a new Betsy, so I didn't. But I did make a new body, in case we need it later. Um, of course, we know that he went to Mr. Sinister for that. Um, then Rogue and Richter go back to uh, Apocalypse's magic library and open up spells and stuff. And you kind of talk about, like, the legacy of that. Uh, Gambit gets mad at Jamie because he has Morgana uh trapped and he's keeping her prisoner and he's like, That's not cool, bro. Um and then he there's like this big like sarcophagus and he opens it up and Betsy's body that he had made is missing. So that's not good. And then uh Rogue and uh Richter like find this wall written in for basically like Apocalypse's not will, because he's not dead, but kind of saying, hey, my legacy is magic. Y'all use it. Keep doing what I taught you to do when I'm gone. Um, if you're reading this, it means I left. So, you know, and then Betsy shows up, and she attacks Rogue, and, you know, she attacks Rogue and Richter, and is kind of just actually pulls up with Starlight Sword as her telekinetic power, Um, so instead of, like, a psychic dagger, it's, like, this big psychic starlight sword. She's going to stab Rogue, but she is blocked by Quanon, um, Psylocke, and so Rogue's like, whoa! So, um, yeah. So, I mean, obviously, for Valentine's, there's some nice sweetness between Rogue and Gambit. They have, like, a family breakfast, and then they are very sweet to each other as they go off on separate missions. Um, the art in this continues to be really nice, um... The colors are maybe a little muddied at some parts where it got really light red. Um, other than that, though, it's very visually a, an appealing book. I still love Ro or sorry uh, Gambit's costume design uh, by Marcus Toe. looks really really good. Um, so you know I talked about last time that in seventeen I felt like Scalibur finally got like a solid like mission and direction. And I was really curious whether it would stick with that and keep up. And I think my answer right now is kind of. <laughs> um, so it still kind of meanders a little bit, but they're definitely trying to figure out what's going on with Betsy. Um, it's hard to tell like the mystery, but even the, the text page was like, oh, Betsy's back. That was, that was really easy, right? <laughs> so... um yeah, definitely try and figure out what's going on with her. It seems to be her, but also maybe not, or maybe something's just wrong with her. Um, I like the idea that there's another body missing, or maybe this is that body, right? Like maybe Jamie had it made and cloned, and something else took it, and that's what came to the tower and showed up. Um, I guess we'll we'll wait and see what that mystery's about. Um. I still enjoyed it. I've still enjoyed this book more than I have at any point since it started. And then, you know, just in time to tag along with our flashback episodes, um, which, by the way, just had a wonderful episode with the House of X guys, uh, Dylan and Regina, on to talk about the introduction of Quanon, uh or revanche, right? Um, and so now we have another story. We're going to have uh, two sidewalks maybe fight again. So, uh, some nice uh, synchronicity there. Um, I think overall, I'll get this one just like X-Factor. It's kind of a light a light 4 out of 6 claws. I'm enjoying it more than I have been and it was definitely I'm definitely interested in some of the mystery but it's not quite like really got me like excited I guess. I don't know. I mean it's good, not great but it's better than average. <laughs> anyway, that's scalper number 18 and that It's our Valentine's special. We had lots of dates, right? We had uh, Wolverine with uh, Mariko and Amiko. That was sweet. And then we had some high school drama. And then we had... um, What was after that? Uh, Quentin Quire and Peavy on a date. And then we had uh, Fantastic Four, Johnny and Skye on a date. And then we had... And docking, hooking up with Aurora a little bit, and then we had some rogue and gambit, so lots of lots of coupleage, for your Valentine's pleasure. So anyway, um, that's it. That's going to do it for this episode. Hope you enjoyed my bloody Valentine special. Um, as always, uh, for the podcast that goes SNCC, you can like the Facebook page. Twitter is at snickcast. Uh Next up, hopefully. Well, well, no, it should be. It should be um, uh, Uncanny X-Men 300 with uh, a couple of the guys from Homo Superior, which I'm very excited about. So definitely uh, keep your ears out for that. And then um, after that, we'll have some more flashback stuff and then also catch back up with Georgie and Dan from the Excalibur's on new X-Books. So that's all coming down the pike real soon. So until then, please, everyone, stay safe, stay well. And until next time... Hugs and snacks. Bye-bye. And snack.